Merry Christmas and welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now, you will hear Pastor Rich preach the Christmas Eve sermon, The Brilliant Magi, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We pray that God will use this sermon to speak to you directly during this Christmas season. And now, to Pastor Rich. Well, Merry Christmas. Would you please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2 as we continue in our little break out of the Gospel of Mark. You know, scientists say that the longest day of the year, the year that is the darkest for the longest, is December 21st. That's what they say, the They Brothers say. I would argue, and I think most children would disagree, and they would say tonight's the longest night of the year, right? (laughs) Come on, it's Christmas morning. You got to get up. You got to get up, right? My youngest of four is 28 years old. And I know that's hard to believe since I'm only 39. <laughs> but I had my, my grandchildren were over for the last few days. And it was so neat. The day Friday was our Christmas day. And, you know, my, my nine-year-old granddaughter, she was up at four in the morning, and yes, I was up to greet her. And as I was having coffee, she's like, Papa, it's gift time right now. And I said, well, if you can get Nani out of bed, we can do that. But I don't think that's going to work. But today we're going to talk about the very first Christmas. And over the past couple of weeks, we talked about how the shepherds came rejoicing over the baby Jesus. And then last week, Andy filled in for me and did such a great job talking about how Mary did indeed know that Jesus was Messiah and that he would fulfill all the prophecies that were written of him. And so today, to kind of finish that off, we're going to talk about these wise men, the magi, as it were, that knew God's word so well that they knew the promises, and so they go and follow the star. So if your Bibles are open, Matthew chapter 2, let's begin at verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. You know, a lot of times in church during this time, we sing this song called We Three Kings. But I want to give you three reasons why that title of that song is inaccurate. One, we don't know the exact number of the men that were there, but we know for a fact that they were not kings at all. Number two, they did not originate in the Orient, meaning the Far East. How could they have seen the star 
in the east and arrived in Jerusalem unless they began somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea area. As it says in verse two there, where is he who's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. The third reason is a number of these traditions say that there were three men because of the gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But just because there were three gifts doesn't mean that there were three men. Actually, traditions tell us that this was a caravan of men, right? There were several there riding in on donkeys. So the term magi is used for wise men, astrologers, magicians. In fact, we get our word magic from magi, okay? But the East here is more correctly identified as Media Persia or Arabia, somewhere in that area, not the Far East. We know that the origin of them is from this area for multiple reasons, and we'll cover that in a minute. But these men came from an old priestly caste from the Medes and the Persians. So these were priests that were trained in the Median and Persian empires. They were well-educated in a lot of different areas, in medicine, in astrology, astronomy, but also in the Bible. These men knew the Bible as good as or better than most of the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament. But like any profession, there's good and there's bad magi. The bad magi practiced black magic and divination and different things. The good magi studied more time in scripture and things like that in medicine, and, and they were trying to help people. The Persian magi were the more religious of the, of the two rather than the Medes. The Babylonian magis were often deemed imposters. So the conclusion that makes the most sense in our story is that these were Christian men. They they were God-fearing men, rather, that came out of Persia, and they had come to worship Messiah because they knew over 300 prophecies when Messiah would be born, where he would be born, and they have come because they have saw this special star, and they want to worship this baby. There's over 300 prophecies specifically about Messiah, and we don't have any kind of time to get into all of them, but Specifically, we, we knew from the Old Testament where he would be born. We knew where he would live. We knew that he'd be born to a virgin and many others as well. We can also be sure that these men knew one specific prophecy out of the book of Numbers. And I want to share it with you. Numbers twenty four seventeen says, A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So these men recognize that this star is not just an everyday star. This is a very special star, and they're going to follow it, and it's going to take them right to baby Jesus. Now, throughout the years, of course, scientists have tried to explain away this miracle, right? Because we can't have miracles, right? Because otherwise we have to say that there's a God in heaven. And so some of the explanations for this special star was that it was a comet. But if you study history even a little bit, you find out that there were no comet sightings that match up to the birth of Christ at all. Halley's Comet was present in 11 BC, far too late. And we believe that Christmas, the first Christmas was around 5 BC. Others believe the Star of Bethlehem was a a gathering of planets in the sky. 
And since planets orbit the sun at different speeds and different distances, they can occasionally look like clusters, but it just doesn't work for this example. To have a single light that scripture describes to us, there's no way that this was a cluster of planets. There was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in 6 BC, and an even closer one in 66 BC, but again, the times don't match. Some believe this was a supernova or an exploding star and this bright blaze. But again, if you study history, you know that supernovas didn't happen at that time. All three of the explanation by these scientists, these experts, as it were, fall short of the prophecy in Numbers, as well as our passage here in Matthew chapter 2. And here in our text, we find several fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. Micah 5.2 tells us that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of Christ. So it kind of narrows down who in history could be the Messiah. Had to be born in Bethlehem. Okay. Psalm 72.10 tells us that Gentile kings would present him gifts. Kind of narrows it down a little bit more. Jeremiah 31 tells us that there's going to be a massacre of Bethlehem's babies after his birth. Okay. Hosea 11 speaks of how he's going to escape to Egypt. But there's two other details here in Matthew of special interest that I want to point out. The first one, the text implies that only the Magi saw this special star. Only the Magi. Right? So other comets or planets aligning or blowing stars up, any of these things, every eye would have seen. But in this case, only the Magi got to see this. The second one, the star went before the Magi and actually led them on the path until it stood right over the baby Jesus. This was a miracle. You can try to convolute it any way you want, water it down any way you want, but this is a miracle. And the distance, we're told, was about six miles that these men traveled as that star led them right to Jesus. No natural object in the sky could do this because this object went in a direction from north to south. Every natural object in the sky goes from east to west. So this was definitely something special. And again, it's pretty difficult to imagine that just a random star would sit over baby Jesus and lead these men. So the conclusion is either the Bible is completely false or this was a total miracle. And that's what you have to decide in your heart this morning. This was a temporary supernatural light. The thing is, is, you know, we talk about Christmas and, you know, we again, we celebrate it. My my kids coming down, my grandkids and gifts and, you know, we, we ate well and all these things. But Christmas is a miracle. The very first Christmas was a miracle. And if you can't grasp the fact that Christmas was a miracle of God becoming a man and coming down here, you certainly haven't understood it yet. I want to talk about a couple of other times that God uses special lights. Maybe you remember these stories. In the Old Testament about the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, God's Shekinah glory surrounded the tabernacle. Again, in the temple in 1 Kings, God's Shekinah glory. How about as we move into the New Testament? I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Before his name was changed, 
He was kicking at the goads and fighting and killing people off who were following Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 9, we're told that a great light shone around him, dropped him to his knees, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, and you have been fighting me. Again, the Shekinah glory of God. But the great mystery of Christmas is not the origin of this light, this special star. The question of why the Magi chose to follow the star lies in the simple fact that they knew God's word and they had hidden his promises in their heart. The Lord purposely set up these prophecies and 300 others so that there'd be no question then and there'd be no question today that only one man in all of history could be born and fulfill every one of those. So now we only have one choice. Either we accept or we reject. There is only one Messiah. There's not another one coming. There's not another person who could be born at that specific day, at that specific time, at that specific place that that star would sit over. Again, let's look at verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when they gathered the chief priests and scribes together, he inquired of them when the Christ was supposed to be born. You see, King Herod was an appointed man, and he was trying to be king of the Jews, even though he was not the rightful king. He wanted to be king, even though he knew what Scripture taught, that Jesus was the king of the, the Jews. You know, we sit back in our armchair of history, and we look back and we think, how could a guy who knew all those prophecies. He had the chief priests and the scribes. He had all the testimony of all these people. He knew without a doubt who this baby Jesus was. No doubt in his mind. So why would he try to usurp being king of the Jews, knowing all that he knew? Okay, well, how about a better question for us? Here we sit in 2023. And we have more evidence than any other generation in the history of the world that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And yet how many of us refuse to let Jesus be Lord of our lives? And, and so Herod is furious and he hears that this baby is the king of the Jews. He's taken my title and he says, please find him and come back so that I can go and worship him. Uh-huh. Again, these magi knew all 300 prophecies. The chief priests knew all 300 prophecies. They all knew it. And, and it says in verse 3 that Herod was troubled, but so was all Jerusalem. They were all troubled. Can you imagine waiting for the promised deliverer and you're troubled because now all of a sudden you got to give up your authority? And, and think about this caravan of Gentile wise men just showing up in town one day. Imagine this scene. They just show up. I'd be troubled a little bit as well, right? But Jerusalem, 
and Herod alike were so self-focused that they want power. They want position and they don't want a king. And, And then notice verse 11. After they come, they fall down and worship the king and they offer him some gifts. Let's talk about those gifts real quickly. First, gold. The significance of gold is obvious. Gold you can use all around the world, right? You may not have euros and you might fly into France this afternoon, but if you have gold, you'll be able to use gold in France. It's precious in all cultures throughout the world, but it also signifies royalty. It's fit for a king. The only gift fit for a king was gold then. For us today, it's our hearts. The second one was frankincense. And we don't really use a lot of frankincense today. I went to Albertsons, I couldn't find any. (laughs) But it's made from the sap of a special tree and, and what they did with it is they made incense. When we get to the book of Revelation, it says that incense was burned, which represents the prayers of the saints going up to the nostrils of God. So, so it's worship, right? It's a, it's a form of worship. And it was very expensive. But our prayers going up to our high priest, Jesus Christ. The third one was myrrh. And that was a resin, again, from a special tree in the regions of North Africa and areas around the Red Sea. And it's an Arabic word, meaning bitter, meaning bitter. And, and it could be used as an antiseptic. It could be used as a wound healer. But I believe that day it was pointing forward to what Jesus was going to do, the bitter death that he was going to taste for us, the stripes that he was going to take before the cross for us. The myrrh was offered to him. And all these gifts, all three of them would have been very, very expensive gifts, luxury items only the rich could afford. And here comes this caravan of men bringing these gifts. Listen to this prophecy 800 years prior to this scene from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 60, verse 6. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephah. From Sheba, they will bring gold and incense for the worship of the Lord. 800 years before the scene in Bethlehem, Isaiah prophesied that would happen. It's almost like God knew. Crazy. So what child is this? This is the Christ child. But again, Herod takes the appearance of these wise men as a threat to his authority. Oh, man. And so notice what he does. Again, look at verse four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So he gathers all the religious leaders together. And he says, hey, let's make sure this is right. Tell me all the prophecies. Tell me where and when he was to be born. They probably went into Daniel and found out that so many days this was going to happen. And they probably went into Isaiah and they probably went from Genesis all the way through. Tell me, tell me, tell me, book of Micah, all these different things. And he finds out for sure, yeah, this is probably right. God's plan's unfolding right before my eyes. I can see it. So when he finds out that this baby 
is born king of the Jews. This is Messiah. What does he do? He falls down and worships like them. Well, well, let's look. Verse seven. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And when he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. No, the reason why he did this in secret was because bring back word so I can go and kill this baby. And and he didn't want to do it in front of the people because he was afraid of an uprising. And as this uprising starts, not only is he in big trouble, but Rome's going to come kill him because they're not going to put up with an uprising from the Jews. He can not only lose his position, but he'll lose his head as well. And and notice again in verse 8, so that I can come worship him. What was Herod really like? See if any of these fit us. He was stubborn and self-willed. He was being led by demonic influence, and he was scared of losing his position. But what's so ironic is both his boss Augustus and Herod were simply pawns in the hands of a holy God. Don't forget God's sovereignty. God knew before the foundation of the world that this time was going to happen, this day was going to happen, and he was going to use these guys and their arrogance and their self-willed, and he's going to have his will done. What a good lesson for us that when we serve the Lord, we got to check our motivation. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God can do anything. But we have to be careful in our motivation. Again, look at verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. If there was any doubt prior to this for the Magi, imagine the moment they get to the manger scene. Right? The star takes them right there. You know, maybe 80% of the Magi were like, no, we know. Maybe 20% had a little bit of doubt. Eh, I don't know. They get to the manger. There's no doubt left. The star stops right on top of Jesus. And what that made me think of, remember who Jesus is. This is the creator God of the universe. This is the one who tells the wind and the waves to be still. This is the one who would change the weather in a moment. This is the one who could tell that star, I created you, stand over me. All creation knows who Jesus is. So this isn't such a huge miracle after all. He created that star. During what's known as the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember what was happening as the crowds were praising the Lord. Luke 19.38 says this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And listen to how Jesus controls nature. Verse 40 says, But when he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Creation knows who this king is. It's amazing that nature does not doubt who their creator is. And yet we do. It's amazing to me. You see, just like that star that day was pointing the Magi right to the the king of kings, 
God does the same thing to each of us. And sometimes we doubt that. God, if you would just reveal yourself, I'd believe in you. God, if you would just show me a sign. We're told very clearly in scripture that God has put a God-shaped vacuum in every person that's alive. And you know, it's when you're alone at night and it's quiet, there's no telephone that you're playing with, there's no TV, there's nothing, and you're just sitting there and being still and you get that urge in the back of your heart and you're like, I know there's a God. That's because there's a God-shaped hole in your heart that God has put there. And so many of us in the world are trying to fill that hole up with everything and anything, be it with someone of the opposite sex, be it with drugs or alcohol or whatever. And we cram stuff in there, hoping that it fills it up. And yet we never find anything that can fill that God-shaped hole up because God created it that way. Nothing in this world will satisfy you like Jesus. And so let's notice what happens when these men find Jesus. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The natural response of someone who comes to know the real and living Jesus Christ, not what your parents told you about Jesus, not what your grandparents told you or the guy on the television told you about Jesus. But when you come to know the real living Jesus Christ, this is the natural response. Number one, you're going to fall down and you're going to worship him. And number two, you're going to have exceeding joy, real joy. The creator of heaven, the creator of the universe left his throne to come as a baby, grow up 33 years just to save you from your sin. That's reason to celebrate this morning. He came to pardon us from the death penalty. I want you to think about something. If you were on death row this morning, and let's say they've come in, they've asked you your last meal. You said, you know, I want an In-N-Out burger animal style, right? Double, double, right? You know, maybe a chocolate milkshake to go with it and maybe a big fat apple pie for dessert. Hey, why not? I mean, you know, and all of a sudden you get the call. The governor has given you a pardon. Better news. The governor not only gave you a pardon, but they're sending a $10 million check for you for being falsely accused. We got a house and a car and a driver and you've been pardoned and you get all this to go with it. That feeling that you would have of thinking you were about to eat your last meal, to be pardoned and getting all that stuff to go with it, that's the feeling that we should have because we've been pardoned of our death penalty of our sin. Jesus Christ took it all. Look at verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed and went to their own country another way. And so God warns these men, don't go back. Herod's got evil intentions. Don't go back. And here's the thing. The Lord will never keep his will a secret from his kids ever. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God's there. So really quickly, let's get practical. I promise to keep it short this morning. I promise to keep the service at an hour. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so here's your question this morning as a practical application. What are you going to do with this Christmas story? 
You know, what are you going to do with this real Christmas story? There's those of us in the room this morning who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've accepted his free gift. We've placed our faith in what he's done on Calvary. And so here's the questions for us, for those who have given their life to Christ. Here's our questions. And this is just kind of a tune up. Check the list. Are we competing with the Lord for control of our heart like Herod did? Or are we standing on the promises of God like the Magi did, knowing that what God has promised, he is faithful to complete. He said he'd do it, and he who promised is faithful, he's going to do it. The real Christmas story, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so like the Magi, let's worship the Lord, for he is true and real. But then there's some of us in the room this morning who, you know, maybe we came to visit and, you know, grandma and grandpa drug us here, whatever it was. And we've never trusted the Lord for salvation. And, you know, it sounds like a great story, Rich. You know, yada, yada. I don't know if I believe any of that. My first invitation to you would be, please come talk to me afterwards. I would love to share my story with you and tell you how I know that I know that I know that I know that my Jesus is alive. But here's the thing, like the Magi, like the rest of us, God has put eternity into your heart as well. And how I know is because the Bible says he has. And so there are those moments in life when you're sitting there going, man, what if this is real? I heard one time someone wrote, you know, What if I'm wrong? A Christian said, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What happens if I'm wrong about this whole Christian thing? Well, I I try to live a better life. I talked to an imaginary friend quite a while. I gave a little money to charity and, you know, I helped out where I could. I die, no problem. Big deal. But what if you're wrong? You know, Hebrews says that death odds are pretty impressive that every one of us someday, if the Lord should tarry, we're going to die. And then comes the judgment. And in this God-shaped vacuum prior to Christ, I know what I try to fill that hole up with. And I tried and tried and tried, and I could not fill up that hole. And I used everything at my disposal and some things that weren't at my disposal, and it didn't work. But the story of the Magi They knew the promised one and they knew the promises and they followed God's lead and they found him and that star led them in the right direction. My question this morning is, this morning, do you sense the Holy Spirit kind of gnawing at you a little bit saying that there's something right about this story? There's something that just rings true about this story? Well, good, go with that. Because today is the day to make your heart right with Jesus. And what a great Christmas present. You could say next Christmas, you know what I got for Christmas? Eternal life. Forgiveness of sin. And man, that would be the greatest Christmas present. Not only you'd give yourself, you'd give us as well. So what do you do with this Jesus? The thing is, is God says that he's seeking after us. John chapter four says the father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth. God's seeking after you, even when you don't know it. The question is, are you seeking after him? 
He loves you and he wants you to have eternal life and the abundant life as well. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Every week, we're in the back. We would love to pray for you. I'd love to share with you. Man, we've got all day. And what the greatest Christmas present would ever be for all eternity, better than seeing my grandkids, would be having somebody come and find eternal life this morning. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the Christmas Eve sermon, The Brilliant Magi, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Tune in next week in the new year as Pastor Rich continues in the Gospel of Mark sermon series. Join us every Sunday morning, either in person at 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. or online at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithclamath.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. All sermons are available on our website. Simply click on the Resources tab and then click on Sermons. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the Word of God. Living Faith Fellowship wishes you and your loved ones a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you again, and God bless you.